if you start seeing yourself as part of the bigger picture, uh, be it as an entity, as a business, uh, be it as an individual, you all of a sudden start benefiting from the energy of others. Lupomila Jordanova is the co-founder and CEO of Plan A, a software provider offering solutions for businesses to reduce their emissions and improve and report on their ESG performance. Originally from Bulgaria, Lubomila has won multiple awards under her belt, such as Forbes 30 under 30, Obama Europe leader and MIT innovator under 35. In this episode, we hear how Lubomila has evolved to manage her well-being and what role vulnerability plays in her leadership. Welcome on board. This is Talks of Imperfection. Ever since I was a child, I've always been observing nature and seeing how phenomenal of a painter and designer uh, she is. And I think the best example for me personally has always been animals altogether. When you start studying animals, you see quite quickly that they live in perfect equilibrium with their ecosystem be it the way they eat, be it the way they are dressed with their fur and their patterns. And the only reflection to perfection that I've found in my life has really been that. Finding my angle to just analyze how incredible this ecosystem in which we are is and how easy flowing all the processes within it are, unlike some of the processes when it comes to humans. Nice. Welcome to Talks of Imperfection. And thank you for having me. <laughs> well, let's dive into uh, Plan A. Um, you have ramped it up as a CEO together with your team rather fast. Could you walk us through the how it all, all came to this point? My journey finding Plan A was really one of a lot of serendipity, but also a lot of soul-searching, I guess. In 2016, I found myself disengaged with my job that I was having then. I was in a relationship that wasn't particularly positive, and also Brexit had just happened. So I was looking for a lot of answers on many topics and within the same time I went on a trip to Morocco where instead of surfing I ended up finding myself on a beach which I had to clean from plastic which was a, the beginning of a long journey of learning about climate change. After this trip I absolutely became obsessed with the topic of climate change, pollution, the impact of people on the planet and Within one year, I had a bit too much information on the topic and too much concern for where we were headed and felt the utmost responsibility to take action myself, regardless of the fact that I didn't know quite well if this was going to be a successful venture or if this was going to be a project that could lead to outcome aligned to the problem that I was trying to solve. Today we're a company of over 100 people based across Europe and we help companies uh, eliminate their negative impact on the planet. 
what it is in in practice that you offer for your clients we have a software as a service platform that enables businesses to assess their environmental performance to get automatically a prescription on how they can improve and finally to report on that and be aligned to all the legislation that has been coming up lately and you've been um, in the front line uh, raising money that has been rather successful right yeah we've been out there for quite a while and i think we've learned about the fundraising process from various angles 2017 2016 was certainly not a time when fundraising for a climate tech startup by a single founder that was female was a common setup and that definitely created a lot of friction for the first two years of the company i didn't pay myself a salary for that time and also didn't have a lot to offer to people that were working with us we had quite a lot of volunteers but not necessarily a lot of full-time employees because my savings were what we were living off and later down the line two years ago we went into a seed round and then series a and also later on more which was possible because the market allowed itself for the last few years to learn a little bit more about climate change about sustainability about the part that technology is going to play in addressing that and today certainly the reality looks a lot different for anyone that is finding a company in comparison to where we kicked it off hmm. that's an interesting personal journey as well for you as a founder and a, and a ceo um, after raising 15 million how did you build your own emotional and psychological capacity to hold more the challenges in the beginning of the planet journey definitely created a lot of resilience in me and even more commitment to the cause that we were working on because it felt so helpless for so many and our resilience was what was needed in order for the problem to be addressed given no one else was addressing it. Today we're a big community, there's so many different stakeholders taking action and it feels a lot more of a reality where there's reckoning for the size and the scale and the magnitude of the problem. When this started, for me, the biggest challenge was really to wrap my head around, first of all, the theoretical, the scientific side of the story, but then also to learn to manage my emotions about how I felt about all the facts that I was gathering. Being so deeply connected to so much human trauma and also so much devastation on a biodiversity ecosystem level, you kind of end up developing a lot of sadness, a lot of feelings of uh, anxiety. And that was probably the most important step that I took for myself in the first few years. Um, it took up until last year to be able to fully be capable of detaching myself from how I felt about the problem that we're solving and really being able to act on it within mm. the day to day. Can you describe it a bit more in, in details? What, what was the the kind of um, despair and, and those negative emotions you were feeling back in that day? In 2016, I found myself in front of a lot of scientific papers, a lot of documentaries, a lot of articles, books, and any kind of format of content that would equip me with enough knowledge to build the big picture on what problem we were trying to solve. 
And it became quite evident that there's three key outcomes that became the hypothesis behind Plan A. The first one was that businesses had the biggest part to play in addressing climate change. The second was that this was a collaborative uh, effort. It was never going to be the act of one stakeholder for this big problem to be addressed. And then the final and probably most fundamental was that science needed to be at the core of every decision making that is being made for addressing climate change. To get to this point, I had to gather a lot of different sorts of information, accounts of how it is on the ground for people that are uh, coming from indigenous communities, accounts for um, how scientists have been talking about this for decades. And when you pile up all of this information, you end up with a lot of human suffering that is really clearly defined, written about. Uh, you also see a lot of species going extinct, which might not be in the same way described, but you can only imagine what it means for an ecosystem when key elements of it start dying. I'm a compassionate person. I'm someone that is um, sensitive and deeply connected to their emotions. And what this meant that while going through this information, I was really suffering a lot. But what kept me going the whole time was that I was not the one suffering today. And I had a responsibility by knowing to take an action uh, so that hopefully suffering stops or at least is reduced to the minimum. And I guess that come, uh, takes you to drawing lines as well. How, how was it for you? I'm someone that is quite strict with themselves and that has been translated in my day-to-day -day with the routines that I have for doing sports, with uh, how I eat, uh, how I sleep. Uh, I'm not fanatic about any of these things, but I make sure that I get what my body, my mind needs in the particular moment. With this in mind, I've been able to really uh, set boundaries between me and some of the emotional elements associated to my work and really um, be focused on where we're headed rather than what is the status quo. Because if you spend too much time on what is happening at the moment, you just drown into all the issues because unfortunately, reality is not incredibly positive at the moment. Mm. What's your definition for perfection and imperfection? Perfection for me is nature. I think there's no flaws that you can find in the way all the different elements, all the different species, all the different stakeholders within this ecosystem uh, operate on. There's also a lot of genius in all the design and how these different elements coexist and collaborate and also even get into conflicts. Imperfection on the other side, in my opinion, is the human. And that doesn't make us a failure or an element that needs to be eliminated, but rather gives us the chance to trial and error everything that we go through to get to the point where we're the closest to perfection but never perfect. Mm. And how the human imperfection is um, happening in your life? I'm an incredibly clumsy person so I'm constantly like uh, having little spots of coffee on my shirt or a little uh, and kind of steps that go a bit wrong on the street which makes me... Uh, jump a little 
that's one thing that has been consistently part of my life and is really constantly repeated to me in my mind that there's no <laughs> there's no perfection in uh, being human on a more serious level i guess the human soul and the human uh, as an entity is uh, a constant evolution and in my mind, we're always going towards what we see in nature, but we're not there at the starting point. We're kind of this unmolded, unshaped uh, sculpture that needs a lot of different experiences to be able to get to a point where they can fulfill their mission in a complete manner. But in order for this to happen, you need to accept that the way you feel, the way you act, the way you respond to reality is always going to be shaping itself down the line rather than be constant. And that what makes a human imperfect, but also what makes us, uh, I think, one of the most exciting and uh, unique and hopefully hopeful elements that is evolving and that can also bring a lot of... Um, a lot of elements to this evolution that the whole humanity, but also the whole, um, I would say, ecosystem we live in is going through. Mm. And as a leader, how, how you take care of your own well-being? That's been a battle because I didn't have a proper definition for this in the beginning. I jumped into building my own company at a time when I had four or five years of work experience, but... I was not shaped as a professional to a level where I would be able to have these strict rituals that would be keeping me sane and hopeful and uh, constantly enthused by all the things that I was doing. I didn't take care of my body for two, three years, and I can say this with full knowledge that probably many people listening also don't do that because they're constantly intellectually stimulated by their work by the wish for accomplishment and by this constant strive to be creating impact. Um, but two years ago, I really learned that the most important thing I need to focus on is finding balance for myself because this is how I can contribute the best to Plan A, to my team, to the cause that I have. What I do today is a lot of sports. I do sports every single day, um, except maybe one day of the week. What sports you are doing? Today I went for a run, um, yesterday I did yoga, uh, the day before I was doing an aerobics class and last week I was doing ballet, uh, climbing and I try to diversify a lot because I get quite easily bored. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, I meditate as well and that's something that really has helped me set the scene for the day. The way a bad day can kick off is when you don't take charge of it at the get-go and meditation really helps me define what's the mood what's the construct what's the concept with which i'm kicking things off is there a specific uh, school of meditation you're following or i've been testing a lot of things like high frequencies uh also listening to a lot of powerful lectures by Sadhguru uh, and also a few other uh thought leaders um also have been seeing what Deepak Chopra um, did with his meditation class. Um, I've been experimenting a lot. I don't think I'm at the moment defined. What I definitely always listen to, though, is 
how my body feels and what do I feel I need because sometimes you wake up a bit anxious sometimes you're a bit stressed so um, you really need to align uh, to that and I know my boundaries with these things so when I feel like I can push I get on a 20 minute meditation that is quite high intensity high frequency sounds uh, when I need just a lot of guidance I just pick the one that is 10 minutes and there's someone that doesn't stop speaking so that I keep my mind to the point what about vulnerability? What is your relationship with that? And um, can we see that in your leadership? Absolutely. Vulnerability is one of the key components of being a founder, a good leader, any kind of community uh, lead. It, you don't need a label to be uh, vulnerable. And you need to use this because I think it's one of the superpowers that humans have. The main reason why someone does something um, with you in a project, in a team, is because they are in one way or another connected to your vision and in, in a way connected to your leadership or your capacity to make decisions that would be aligned to what they wish to see. Vulnerability in the context of climate change and especially in the context of building Plan A um, has been quite crucial because it has since day one allowed for many people to connect to the topic um, because they would trust we, we would know what we're doing, but also it would allow them the space for, for them themselves to be vulnerable. On a second level, uh, it has allowed many of the businesses that we work with to understand that um, this is a lot bigger than simply some money moving around and some software being built. This is really the transformation of a whole system um, and on a whole economic model that is fantastic, but it just needs a reboot. It needs additional KPIs. It needs to be taught in a different way because otherwise we stand against the reality of humanity disappearing. Um, and finally, it has been uh, powerful because it has brought a lot of trust in the reasons why we're doing what we're doing. We have the factual uh, kind of evidence of how we've been focusing on this before it was cool because we just started the company in 2016-17 and we've been doing a lot of also a community engagement, educating people without getting any uh, compensation for that. But um, down the line now, when people are a bit more uh, awoke to this reality, it has really helped us uh, shape a whole community of green tech companies, but also a lot of industry leaders that are and shaping how sustainability looks on a corporate level and essentially allowing for everyone to feel like they're in this bubble that stands the chance to shape how people think um, in the coming years. Mm. And on a personal level, do you recall any kind of moments of vulnerability? All the time. I, if you ask my team, I have been so many times in, in tears because of uh, success or because of some situation that maybe didn't feel right or some conflict that I have seen maybe outside of the boundaries of the company. But I... I really take to heart uh, any of these moments when there's injustice and also there's some sort of a um, behavior that might have been skipped or situation that could have been avoided. 
Um, many. I, I can think of how proud I felt when uh, we had our key, a few key employees that just got confirmed and they're going to be starting in the coming months and some of them come from the biggest companies in the world. They're literally um, taking a massive paycheck cut, but also um, they're really going for something that is in a value-based way, uh, defining their future and they feel a lot more aligned to it. But just these kinds of moments are shaping the fate of the company. And I always get really emotional because I know that it, is not the reality that we had four or five years ago. It is not the reality we even had like a year ago where we can now confidently go out and uh, get these people and um, move on to the next big agenda. Hmm. And what does it mean to you to work for a cause bigger than yourself? From today's perspective, it feels like it's the only way. <laughs> I don't think I would be ever be able to simply work for the sake of work. Um, Plan A and the activities of our work really penetrate my day-to-day, -day, but also my time off. And not in a way that I'm stressed about work, but more I come up with ideas within my free time. I also have a lot of friends that are from the realm of green technology that also uh, are part of my uh, personal um, kind of group. And it just is so exciting to be working on something that... Uh, feels and is so important because you know that your skills, your time, your effort are not going um, to waste and they're going towards something that is fundamentally shaping um, a whole generation but also the ones that come after. And it just excites me always to see um, how people change after they've interacted with us, after they started working with us and to see these milestones of our clients as well, um, because that shows that, you know, it's working. On a more qualitative level, um, after giving all the speeches that I've given, uh, I've now received hundreds of messages where people would tell me that they've decided to um, focus their work on sustainability within the existing company or quit their job and move into sustainability or kick off something on the side that is related to the topic. Um, on a more quantitative level, we by now have been able to reduce on average by 7 to 9% the emissions of our clients. And that is the result of them understanding the value of taking action rather than simply doing an assessment and preparing a report. Um, we have been pushing uh, a lot of these changes through the product, but also through a deep understanding that this fundamental shift that businesses need to go through needs to be broken down into steps and it needs to involve all the different stakeholders within an organization. Um, these two sides of the story, the qualitative and the quantitative, are constantly reappearing on a daily basis within our uh, reality and uh, that's, I think, what keeps the whole team uh, going forward. Mm -hmm. And what does success mean to you? In our domain, it's a bit of a difficult one. Uh, I think success is unachievable in a way because you have to be able to tackle the big issue that is climate change and I don't think we would be um, at any point fully successful because that would mean that we would see all of the negative impacts of, of climate change essentially stopping. On a more practical level, I do take 
the chance for every little uh, win that we have, be it by new company signing up with us, be it by a new employee joining, uh, be it by uh, just us having a milestone with the product to be celebrated. Um, we have a lot of these mini uh, aha moments, uh, a lot of moments where people's work needs to be um, recognized and needs to be celebrated. And these are for me successes. They go outside of me. They're not uh, about me. They're about the team. They're about the client success. Uh, they're about really seeing the progress on the larger story uh, where the true success is going to be. But let's see. Uh, we chat in a few years to see if <laughs> we're getting any close. And what about on the personal side? What, what is a successful life? What it means to you? I think finding balance has been a big success for me. Uh, it was not something I valued, but because I had not yet touched it to know that it would make me so different as a person, I've become so much more um, calm and so much more mature and capable of going through all sorts of situations, good, bad, uh, challenging or not with a level-headed mind and a lot of calmness and a lot of uh, positivity. Um, another success has been really to spend uh, time on finding out what I love to do outside of Plan A. It's really difficult when you're building something that you care about so much to actually focus on finding your hobbies and exciting activities that are not work because it's just already so exciting to be working on Plan A. And in the last few months, I've spent conscious time on figuring this out, and it has really made me uh, a lot more fulfilled and a bit more um, curious about things than maybe a bit uh, particular. What what has been those um, like examples of of the past few months where you where you've been more connected and you you have uh, kind of unlocked those uh, personal space things? So there's been three key elements. One has been sports, and that's where I get so much energy and so much excitement by moving my body as soon as I wake up or after a long day. Um, that probably sounds quite trivial, but once you start implementing it on a daily basis, it makes a massive difference. The second one has been painting. I don't think I have a really good style. <laughs> But I definitely think that it is a really interesting stress release and it's quite funny. Like I, if I can show you some of my creations, I don't think they're going in any gallery, but at least it shows that there's a lot of energy that needed to come out in mm -hmm. one way or another. And the final one has been uh, making my own cosmetics. I'm not selling anything, obviously, it's just for my own purpose, but uh, finding how to use like different oils and different products and so on and making them into... Uh, something that then you put on your skin, it it's quite mind-blowing because uh, it's really effective and it's um, you feel like a bit like a chemist because you're putting together stuff and it needs to be the right proportion and uh, you put little labels what it was, like a bit of a pharmacy from the old days kind of vibe. Mm, <laughs> nice. And what comes out when you, when you paint? There's a lot of color. Uh, there's a lot of non-worldly visuals. There's uh, the last one that I did was like all these trees that were coming from all sides of the paper. So they were not necessarily on the floor, but they were like from the sky and I don't even know what was going on there. Um, there there's been a lot of uh, 
Pollock kind of vibe <laughs> as well. So yeah, I guess I have endless amounts of energy and <laughs> that's another <laughs> demonstration that it needs to come out in one way or another. Hmm. And you had that collaboration with the Obama Foundation. How, how was that? Well, it was more of an honor rather than a collaboration because uh, they selected 30 people uh, from Europe as Obama leaders, uh, which signified the commitment that we've all made to a different social cause. Mine, of course, was climate change, and I was one of the few for-profit entrepreneurs within the group. Many of the other people were um, and are activists, young politicians, people with commitment to... Um, issues like climate change, but working on them from a different angle. It was absolutely fantastic. And I think it was an incredible blessing coming at a very particular time uh, for planning because being a founder is not the same as being a CEO. And this transition can also go quite badly if not managed well. I've had the benefit of having mentors uh, down the line, but that was a six month course. That was every single week taking us to two to four hours of leadership classes uh, that were very practical, but also quite inspirational. We met a lot of people, including President Obama, like the mayor of London, Sadiq Khan, and also some of the advisors of the Obama, fund, uh, the Obama um, administration when that was um, kind of the setup in the White House. And that gave to all of us a lot of context of how being a leader quite often carries the same kinds of challenges, regardless if you're working in the realm of activism, politics, entrepreneurship, uh, business. It's always about how do you manage your emotions, how do you manage your stress, vulnerability, how do you create space for yourself uh, by making sure that you're not too committed to others without being committed to yourself. And it also gave us a really good um, confrontation with the reality that there's no case where any of these causes and any of these social issues that all of us were working on is ever going to be addressed if there's no true um, understanding of the importance of every single one of the stakeholders in the collaboration between them. And that was for me a big revelation because um, I have been working for now five, six years on supporting businesses to transform uh, always with a lot of respect to science, always with a lot of respect to any other perspective, but always shying away from thinking like about maybe, oh, politics needs to also be part of the conversation or um, activists also should be part of the conversation because that always seemed to politicize the engagement with businesses. I still think there's a fine line that you need to manage and to make sure that there's an unbiased approach to supporting businesses, but listening in and understanding how these stakeholders things also helps you uh, navigate reality a lot better. Mm. Did you have a chance to spend some personal time with uh, President Obama? Yeah, I was incredibly lucky also to be one of the first people uh, that he uh, approached when we had our meeting with him in Copenhagen. So how it happened was, first of all, we had uh, one Zoom session with him uh, where we met him for one hour but then two weeks later, three weeks later, we were able to meet him in person for two and a half days, which is quite significant. 
the first engagement was at an evening cocktail. That was a more informal part where he told me that I have a great voice. <laughs> and um, on the next day, um, I was one of the people presenting to him about um, the role of greenwashing and what are the challenges related to communication around climate change. Um, and uh, we also had a 10-person roundtable where we could exchange for half an hour. So quite a few uh, small pockets of excitement with him and certainly um, a, a fantastic opportunity to see how much of, a honor, of an honest and also um, authentic leader he is. He was exactly as we've seen him in any of his uh, online um, engagements, in any of his uh, offline engagements. He is committed, he talks about values, he doesn't uh, go into the day-to-day, -day. he really thinks of the transformation that uh, our society needs to go through. Hmm. So inspiring moment. Absolutely, yeah. Probably one of the most inspiring. I remember thinking to myself the moment when the event was finished, how grateful I am for this uh, rocket launch button that uh, was clicked for me and uh, how there's nothing that um, I should allow myself to limit me going forward for plan A because there's no need to make excuses that we've been able to accomplish something. Uh, as long as you don't do it with ego, you're humble, you stay committed, then um, there's no wrong way in doing it. What is the most significant professional trauma and, and uh, what did you learn from it? We had one case when someone left the company at a stage when we were fairly few uh, because they were burned out and that was something that I hadn't even noticed and I felt like I had failed as a leader when um, that resignation came in. Um, After that, I really had a reckoning. I took a long time to process it and also spoke to a lot of people that had gone through a similar situation or had at least been signaled by the employees that maybe there was a boundary that had been crossed. And what this has led to today is that I have a very clear view of all the different steps that I need to take in order to distance myself from um, my emotions, but also from, um, you know, assuming that someone is the same as me because I now know myself and I know how to recognize others in, by being themselves. And that has helped me um, really not get into any of these uh, situations ever uh, since. Uh, but that was definitely quite traumatic because it, it really felt like I, I had failed. And I, I don't believe in the concept of failure because I think everything is a learning, but it really felt exhausting to think of having gone through this, not for myself, but for this person that had been thinking about this for a long time, committed to the cause, but then it was like too much, so they left. A lot of self-blaming. Yeah, in a way, it felt like I had skipped listening to some lessons that I should have from all the books that I had read and also from all the uh, conversations I had had. But that was many years ago, and now I feel like um, this is a case which has helped um, shape or culture which is really respecting people's uh, boundaries patterns rituals ways of doing things that is um, I would say a lot more um, mature than maybe at the time when this event happened hmm. what would be the kind of key learning for uh, a startup founder who 
has the risk to encounter similar circumstances? What would be your kind of mentoring? The fact that you have a lot of skin in the game doesn't mean that others have because A, they're not the co-founder, B, they're not also the ones that came up with the idea that created this company that has pushed you on a daily basis to be going forward with this. Um, and when you process this, when you understand this, you figure out that people have boundaries, people also have uh, the necessity to... Uh, be allowed to define their own day-to-day -day and also uh, maybe even their workload, the more professional uh, they are down the line because they worked in many places, the more they know actually what it takes for them to get something done. Um, and probably the final and key learning is really open communication because this case could have been avoided if there was an environment where this person felt comfortable to say early on that they felt like this was too much uh, rather than just offering the resignation and um, by opening up the conversation already when the company is like two three four people uh, about how do you feel has this been a tough week um, has this been a good one bad one what could we have done to make it better um, you actually end up probably securing that these people are going to become advocates for uh, uh, you once there's a challenging situation, maybe with another person that is not caused by the same thing, but even if it's something else, because they know that you have their uh, feelings and their success and their mm, kind of mindfulness and stable uh, mind um, in the back of your uh, mind is something they need to be, that you're responsible for. Mm. Why it's so hard to spot those cases? What do you think? Honestly, in the case that I'm thinking of, it was me being immature and finding uh, business and also uh, probably expecting from others what I was expecting from myself. Um, I think it was. Um, it's a matter of that. Like if you're too... Um, if you're too unclear on where you headed and you maybe are trying to figure out so many things at the same time, you maybe just don't have the attention span to notice these things, but you need to consciously develop the time and spend the effort to be able to recognize them because otherwise you miss the opportunity to be um, getting these people through all these challenging steps that building a company includes because the smaller the company is, the quicker the shift cycles are. Um, so that, I think, uh, helps. And w what is your advice to, to young founders striving for perfection in, in your industry? Give up already now. <laughs> <laughs> I think striving for perfection is not a good idea because you're never going to be able to achieve it. When you say you strive for perfection, that means that you have a template in your mind of what the outcome should be. And the outcome is never like that. It actually could be better, but because you have a template already defined in what should happen, you end up limiting the opportunities for this to really be a positive surprise of how it was even better than that. I allow myself to have perfection when it comes to, for example, uh, design and little things like slides and so on, and that's the way I filter out and I channel my energy and need for having something that is perfect because 
that's the kind of uh, place where you can control that. You can see perfection in a beautifully designed slide. You can see perfection in a beautifully designed poster. But this is where um, perfection seeking finishes. I think now I've learned to love uh, being surprised by an outcome. Um, because as long as you know the building blocks of what success in your context should be like, then you should allow for this to come out in the way the external forces are going to shape it as well, because that's probably the best outcome and is the best outcome uh, that you can get in any case. Mm. What have you forgiven for yourself? I definitely had the need to um, work really hard all the time and kill myself and be exhausted and that's something that came probably through the experiences that I had in my previous jobs before Plan A. I keep on working six days a week, I keep on working until late but now I've started listening to my body and also to my mind and when I see that what's coming out is taking me five more minutes than what it usually does, I just shut off the computer and I leave because I know that I can be really efficient with my time and I don't like to waste my time. So I've forgiven myself this need to make the hours rather than to make the quality. Um, now I'm only seeking quality with anything that I touch. And um, what this means is that some days are longer, some days are shorter, um, but it means that uh, at the end of each day, I can in an incredibly satisfied manner just close off and leave the office and immediately switch off because I know that I've done my best. Mm-hmm. And what's your relationship with uh, sacrifices? I'm a cause-driven person, so I think I've sacrificed uh, a lot, but I don't think sacrifice is something that needs to be uh, negative. Uh, It's more a substitute. It's something that is... uh, the choice that you've made in effort to select what you prioritize. Um, I think sacrifice is with the connotation of what probably religion has taught us of uh, being there to demonstrate our suffering uh, and commitments to to the gods and um, so on. That probably is a bit of an outlandish concept for me. I actually believe that um, there's good times for all sorts of things in life and you need to know how to prioritize well. And for me, um, one commitment that I've made is at the moment plan A is definitely my big priority and I skip going to parties because I know I need to go um, at 8 a.m. on the next day to have a very important meeting or because I really need these five hours in the morning uh, to prepare something. But that doesn't feel like a sacrifice. It's more I know what I find to be important in my life. And... How about those kind of personal, internal sacrifices? Have you encountered them? One of the concepts I've always had a battle with is this whole idea of work-life balance because at the get-go there's a wrong connotation because all of a sudden like life does not include work and uh, work is an equivalent size of a concept of life. And I think if you look at that perspective, uh, I feel like Probably the first few years of Plan A, I had to focus a lot more on work. Now I've learned to balance myself, to find the ways in which I get balanced and to spend time on them uh, to recuperate, to be energized, rejuvenated again. 
Um, and that has led to kind of shifting my attention from one topic to the other quicker. Um, I think at different points in people's lives, there's different uh, topics that lead the way and one needs to recognize what matters at that point. I don't think extraordinary results come by trying to find balance in everything that you do because you're just going to be probably average good at everything. Um, it's not about being able to master 300 sports and um, it, it really is about the one thing that you have found that you appreciate that you want to be good at that you spend maybe more time on which immediately removes balance because you're spending more time on it um, and then finding your way in keeping yourself sane keeping yourself uh, sociable I think it's really important to connect to family to partners to um, whatever you like to to, to friends whatever drives you on that personal front uh, but knowing that the better results come from this uh, unbalanced relationship you have with one particular activity. And for me, this is planning. They're saying that we should work smart in, instead of hard, but is it really possible to attain success without working hard? I don't think there's... Uh, one way of doing anything in life and I think the phenomenal successes of uh, people that maybe became the most famous sports people without having legs or uh, the people that are phenomenal musicians uh, without being able to see and to look at notes is a demonstration that there's no one way of doing uh, a good uh, and fantastic and phenomenal and inspiring work uh, within a certain domain. I do think that being studious, being committed to something uh, is always going to push you a little bit to be extra excited about it, which might lead to the additional hours. There's the concept of the 10,000 hours by Malcolm Gladwell, and there's also uh, other concepts related to um, the principle of the three, where you have... Uh, three parts essentially of the definition of a success. The one is that one third of the time you're always going to be achieving extraordinary results. The second part of the time you will be doing average and then you also need to accept that the third part of the time you're always going to be underachieving. There's a lot of ways in which you can look at this. I think the most important is, and that's the fundamental first step before you start claiming fame for anything is learning yourself and learning about yourself and spending time to uh, connect the dots between the different circumstances in which you've lived and you've been to understand the true um, driving force that is within you. Um, it comes from where you come from, it comes from uh, your family, it comes from the circumstances in which you've been brought up and all these different dots are there to pace for you uh, where you're headed. As long as you know that, uh, you also are going to know how you work and what brings you success. And how you see your personal future, where you are in five years? I am now happy and I think in five years time I'm also going to be happy. Um, there's a lot of building blocks that contribute to this happiness today and I think they're just going to continue evolving on a personal, on a professional level. Uh, but ultimately, I think now I've gotten to a stage where I know myself, I know the 
the kind and nice person that I am. I know my vulnerabilities. I know what is emotionally triggering, triggering me. And with this knowledge, I'm equipped to navigate life in, a, I would say, quite of a calm, peaceful and positive way. Uh, I feel incredibly honored to be working on what I'm working and uh, to be able to share with people knowledge to see how inspired they are by the day-to-day activities that we have uh, within Plan A, within the Green Tech Alliance. So in five years' time, this is just going to be amplified further and I think we would be connecting the dots on a world level rather than on a European like we're doing today. What are you fighting for? I have stopped fighting. (laughs) Um, We used to uh, say all the time in uh, the beginning of Plan A, uh, Plan A in the fight against climate change. I think um, fighting has a negative connotation. It's a bit uh, too much of a word that uh, maybe creates a bit of energy that starts bubbling and doesn't make uh, anyone feel immediately connected. I think what I wish for is... um, Really seeing people happy, I know this is quite maybe corny and a little bit um, unrelated to the day-to-day activities that we have, but um, it kind of is, because if you uh, start seeing yourself as part of the bigger picture, uh, be it as an entity, as a business, uh, be it as an individual, you all of a sudden start benefiting from the energy of others, because you can connect to them better, you can... uh, be more aligned to their outcomes and then again you gain efficiency you gain uh, trust you gain um, prosperity in a more um, effective manner mm. beautiful <laughs> thank you for joining the talks of imperfection thank you for having me no it's a big pleasure to speak to you likewise thank you Thank you for listening to the Talks of Imperfection. The podcast is enabled by Edita Prima, the kindest Nordic tech company that orchestrates automated customer journeys to perfection by turning data friendly. That's all, folks. It was good to have you on board. Please subscribe to the podcast, follow us on Instagram, and hold tight until the next episode.